One, two, one, two, one, two. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dogs, cats, children of all ages, people with jobs, people without jobs. It's episode 10 of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Take that, take that, take that. You, you're about to give it, give it all away. Yeah, that's it. It sounded good though. Take that, take that, take that. <laughs> we won't stop. 20 years, we won't stop. Okay, okay, enough is enough. My okay. name is Chris Mitchell, one half of the Anonymous Nerds, and my AKA today is Lord Skengfire of Collindale. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and my name is Summit. I am the other co-host of the Breaking Atoms podcast, Anonymous Nerd, and my AKA today is Thugnificent, because this <laughs> podcast is going to be magnificent. Okay. And, and also, Frank White is, wait for it, legend, wait for it, Derry. Pow. Okay, that's that's probably your best AKA yeah, no. today. You know that took me, <laughs> that took me like almost two weeks <laughs> to oh, get that. Man. I had that written down, voice note, whole thing. When it comes to segues, you, you are the best. When it comes to <laughs> AKAs, you are trash. I want to thank everyone who's listened to the show and left reviews on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and people who just reached out to us on a personal level to say yes. they, they love the show. Yes. Um, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And, um, you know, hopefully... There's more to come. Yes, me and I'm, Summit are still friends and don't fall out. Yeah, we will fall out. I want probably. I, I think what we should do is engineer a beef. We should engineer a beef. Why and would then you say send, so, and why then, would you say such a thing? Because like I think we should just engineer it and send for each other. That would be the grind. You, you don't thing want to that do. sauce. Okay. No, I could rap. Listen. No, you, I could out rap you, you Chris. You don't want that smoke. Anyway. Um, I'm excited that it's, we've made it to ten episodes. It's a big milestone for us. Yes. And I think doing this particular uh, episode talking about B.I.G. Okay, okay. you got to do a better intro. We're talking about arguably the greatest rapper of all time. You can't just slip in. We're talking about B.I.G. Well, you got you got to be understated. you got to be understated. You can't, you can't be so flagrant like he wasn't hypnotised. you got to be a bit understated. You've know? you got to move True. differently. True. Bad boys move in silence. <laughs> take that, take that, take that. <laughs> so as my co-host said, today's episode is going to be focused on arguably the greatest hip-hop album of all time. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of great hip hop albums. I know this. Yes. But this is an album that constantly comes up in the discussion. It's definitely the best double disc hip hop album. I will definitely put it up there. Not putting Speaker Box Love Below. All Eyes on Me is good, but a good collection of songs. Mm-hmm. Blueprint 2 is also the same. Eh. This is no. Don't do that. Don't Meh. do. Don't do that to the groupie. Meh. Don't do that to the <laughs> Rockefeller Hove groupie. Meh. Right. I wore my Tims today, but I might just pull out my Air Force Ones, my Rockefeller ones. They're in my bag. The fact, the fact that you even took them out the house is impressive. Yes. Yes. It's impressive. Yes, yes. But tomorrow, yeah, marks the twenty-one or the twenty-first anniversary. Yes. Of life after death. Correct. So just to give you some background information on the album, it was originally released on March twenty-fifth, nineteen ninety-seven. The working title for the album yeah, hit me. was Life After Death, Till Death Do Us Part, but they shortened it. Really? Yeah. I feel that's Puffy's work. Shorten it, you make it easier to say, and a lot more marketing. You mean Brother Love? <laughs> As a wrestling fan, I can't accept oh, that name. Oh, of course, Do you remember of course. The bro- yeah, yeah, exactly. Love. Exactly. So it was a sequel <laughs> to Ready to Die. Right. And we'll touch on that because it picks yes. up from where the first album left off. It was nominated for three Grammys. I don't think it won. No, it won none. It won zero. Yeah, it was. That's crazy to me. No, it won zero. In hindsight, yes, it made the biggest jump in Billboard history. Right. So in the space of a week, it went from number one seven six 
and came in at number one. No way. Yep. And it sold, check it out, check this out. It sold over 609,000 copies. In, in the first week. In the first week. Yeah. So I think the impact of this album mm. really lies in the fact that Biggie was, I was going to say murdered, but I feel his legacy and his impact deserves more recognition. So I'm, I'm going to say he was assassinated. I was thinking you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, he was assassinated. Yeah, he someone, was. Someone of his stature yeah. is killed so publicly, to me, it's an assassination. So he was killed on March 9th. Yes. So he didn't even get to see this album come out. Of his age, 24 he died? He died at 24, yeah. 24, yeah, and yeah. Tupac the same, right? I think the same, 24, maybe 25, 25. 25. But at that age, they both were able to almost predict what was going to happen and had music that predicted what actually happened yeah because i think a lot of hip-hop artists you know not just biggie and tupac but scarface comes to mind right they were obsessed with death biggie's obsession with death could go back to his first album and i do want to touch mm-hmm, on that later mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but before we even get into that let's talk about our first memories in regards to this album so like where, where were we when we first heard it how did we even get hold of such a classic album so i think from Memories of when Biggie died, I remember, I'm almost sure, like with Tupac, um, Tim Westwood on the radio just banging out Biggie. When the album came out, I was in India. So I bought the cassette in India. Wow. Wow. So I've got a pressing, an India cassette pressing of Life After Death. It comes in two... It's like two, and let me tell you, the exchange rate was beautiful. Because you like you're paying like literally like 60, 70 rupees at that time was less than a pound. So I bought basically life after death for about one pound fifty. That's both. a bargain. Yeah, for both. That's a bargain. You can never buy that anywhere. Yeah, that's a bargain. You so, are, are you sure? Yeah. You yeah. got an original copy. Wow. You put my people like that. No, I'm just saying. Yo, they have they have 50. legit they have they have legit store. It's just that the Well, did you go to our price? <laughs> No, they have an R price in India. You but, went to HMV, innit? <laughs> I went to the guy on the corner of the street. No, 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 no. Didn't they? They have these. They have these. Um, they have these shopping malls, and in there they have a record store. It's legit. It's completely legit. I got all eyes on me on on cassette too. Wow. Yeah. So I remember first hearing the album through tapes that were getting passed around in school. So oh wow! I will, <laughs> I will never forget the first time I heard Ten Crack Commandments. One, two, three. Yeah, that song saved a lot of lives. Yeah. It also created many drug dealers. <laughs> many. Because now you have a manual of how to do dirt. Um, I do yes. want to say about that song, you can apply that song to sales in general. You can apply that song to blogging, to podcasting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could just change the words here and there. We, you did and... say we should do an episode called the 10 Podcast Commandments. Yes, I did. Yeah, I've yeah. done a 10 you're, blog you're bold. commandments. You're bold. Because you yeah. said that after episode one. Yes, yeah, we bold. should. Yes, we should. But my my first, my first, you know, crossing paths with that album, my man Calrod. Right. At school, he played the 10 Crack Commandments. And I was like, what is this? He's like, it's the new Biggie. And we listened to it. Everybody loved it. The, the, the anticipation yeah. was crazy after that. But I will, I will always give credit. To, I always say his name when it comes to my early hip-hop memories. My man, Sean Etienne. Yes, you mentioned you he mentioned. He came to the yes. house oh, wow. with the tape. Wow. Right? I so met, he, I've met him. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he's, he's a realist. Met, I have met him. He's the realist. So he came to my house with, with his friend Rory. Shout out to Rory. Right. He came to the house with the tape. 
Wow. The TDK tape. Wow. And he played Notorious Thugs on my grandma's little binatone um, <laughs> tape deck. With TDK the, was the one. Yeah, with the, with the little vinyl piece at the top. You remember those ones, right? She, yeah. had, the, she had the binatone, right? She had the, bin- <laughs> she had the binatone, right? And the speakers were so trash, right? It sounded like paper and tinfoil, right? And when he played Notorious Thugs, I was like, yo, this is, this is the next... The next level, and I remember one day going to school on the 220 bus. Mm. This is where my I I keep saying my autism, but this is where my spectrumness kicks in because I was on the 220 bus and the bus was turning right on Scrubs Lane. and I saw a poster Mm. um, outside the pub and it had the Life After Death uh, album cover and it said the most anticipated hip hop album ever. Wow, that strap line really hit me because this is a time when you know, um. The score had come out just before this. You know, Tupac had done his thing. J. Rue, Outkast, all this kind yeah. of stuff. So the playing field was wide and mm-hmm. it was competitive. Mm-hmm. So for them to say this is the most anticipated hip-hop album ever didn't feel like a bold claim to me. It felt like, actually, you know what? It actually could be. Yeah. It didn't really seem like this grand statement that's just plucked out the ear to sell a record. Yeah. It really felt like it was the most anticipated hip-hop album Well, cons- considering Nas comes out in 96 with it, it was written, right? Yeah, it came out the same day as De La Soul, Stakes is High. Right, so... so yeah, that, you, that you, divided the right. hip-hop. But we'll talk about Well, that's sorry. a different story. That's a different story. I'm a nerd. That's a different story. I'm sorry. But yeah, I think the fact that it was the greatest, most anticipated ever, it's a very strong statement. Yeah, strong. But in hindsight, after listening to the album and remembering... Where we were as people yeah. and where we were as a society and in the world at large, I think that was more than just the market in Strapline. I think it, it, it was fact. I think what we could probably go on to next is talking about the differences or even some of the similarities with the first album, Ready mm-hmm. to Die. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Which was my favourite hip-hop album for a very long time, for at least 20 years. Really? Yeah. yeah. Biggie Smalls is the illest. That, I, had, I went everywhere with that tape. Everywhere. Really? I'm talking everywhere. I know that whole album from top to bottom. Even the skits. Yeah, there's one skit I don't like. Yeah, the middle one. Yes, for obvious reasons. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't necessary. It's not necessary, but it goes to his filthiness, which he then takes into life after death. So, Ready to Die, in in some ways, is David Simon's The Corner. Right. Life After Death is The Wire. Wow. And I just came up with that comparison. Wow. I think that's a good way See, to when you get it. me the when you get the elongated, wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear you. You know I that flavor, you. flavor, wow. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. But I think the similarities with Ready to Die and Life After Death is that obsession with death. The biggest differences is the production. So Ready to Die was a lot more rugged. Uh, it was more a product of its time. Yes. It was ahead of its time and yes. it was of its time as well. So yeah. you had Easy Moby... The Blues Brothers, you had Lord Finesse. Yes. A guy called Darnell Scott produced Things Done Changed, and I've never heard from this it, guy again. It's not Darnell in the studio. No, Darnell. it's not Darnell, by the way. Darnell Scott. Scott. You go on to Discogs, yeah. that's the only thing he's ever produced. Oh, really? Yeah, but that's a, that's a good entry into yeah, Discogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and another, another thing that I've noted in, in differences in both albums is the difference in his voice. Yeah, his tone of voice is... The tone changed. Yeah. So on Ready to Die, it's a lot more high-pitched. Lot more paranoia. Uh, there's a lot more paranoia oh, yeah. Yeah. in his voice, which ties into this whole ready to die thing. Um, but one thing I would like to note is that you do see glimpses of the life after death Biggie, particularly yeah. in songs like Big Papa. Yes, the yes, slowed yes. Slow yes. down. Right. A lot more confident. A yeah. lot more assured. And- well, there's more finesse because of the. I think. I think the record helped him. Right. So. Uh, when I said Ready to Die, his 
flows dictate the record. Right. Right? The the pace of it. It's it's biggie. It's very much biggie at his raw and uncut form. It's he's, biggie the hip hop head. Right. And he's taking the, the song is driven by him mm-hmm. and his vocals and his flow. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Life After Death, it's more he's finessing and being in pocket with the record itself. Yeah. Ready to die is like Brooklyn and then Life After Death is the expansive view of the world after one's travelled yeah. and seen a few things as well. But yeah. one thing I, I want to mention about Ready to Die in comparison to Life After Death, mm. if my memory serves me correct, that some of Ready to Die was was recorded uh, after, uh, I think he went to Atlanta, so sold some, or somewhere down south. When, right, you know right, the album right. talks about birds down south? That's a real story. So when he came back, you know, Puffy said, look, we've got to do a few of these kind of radio-friendly mm-hmm. joints. You know, you've got to slow it down, smooth it out. And he did it. I don't think he wanted to, right. but he did it. And what I've noticed with a lot of rappers and, you know, their first and second album is they've, they've, their voices are always higher-pitched. They're not necessarily in control, feeling yeah. uber-confident, but by the time that second or third album comes around... They're in. They're in the pocket. I think, I think it could be said for... Nas, Jay Z, it all had a, a certain tonality to their voice. Rock Marcy is a good recent example. Oh, Rock Marcy. Listen to Rock Marcy's flip mode stuff. Yeah. And listen to his stuff now. A lot of people, don't, a lot of people don't even know he was on flip mode. Oh, that's true. Yeah, a lot sorry, of people don't realize. Realize. Like, think, Unnecessary details. But th- I'm sorry. But think about it Rock Marcy and Spliff Star. Like in the same. I'm like, still waiting for Spliff Star's album. Yeah. That's like detox, bro. Isn't <laughs> so. Life After Death. Yes. The sound of the album. Yes. Cinematic. The raps, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. He That's said what it. it. He said it. Drop top notch. Play your hate and won't stop. I don't want to get started. <laughs> ah, I don't do want to get started. Do it. You see, you see the way I started rocking yeah, yeah, left yeah, and right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you did yeah, the big. Yeah, do, yeah. It, do it. Do yeah, it. Yeah, shout out to my man Cuckoo. Every time he sees me, he says, Christopher Wallace. <laughs> yeah, he calls me Christopher Wallace, man. That's, that's, that's real. Shout out to Cuckoo. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of the sound, mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you. It's very cinematic. You made a really good point when we spoke yesterday. Yeah. It's bleak. It's morbid. Yeah. It's melancholy. Yeah. With very few bright spots. Yes. And you were comparing the similarity in musical style with the life he was living at the time. Correct. So Can you elaborate? So, like, there's very... F- that he's His life has changed, right? So he went from ready to die to his backpacker, guy on the corner rapping, freestyling, battling... To this guy now, who's on yachts, who's who was who said, you know, on the rate on ready, uh, life to, life after that said, God made me. He he meant me for to push a Bentley. That's what he felt like he was aspiring to. Mm. And the thing about life after death is, there's a couple of songs where you have these high spots, hypnotized, mm. right? Mo money, mo problems. Yeah. I love the dough, and then immediately you brought down with what's beef, yeah, right? Uh, N words bleed. Right, I can say that. You can say what yeah. you need Niggas to say. Niggas bleed. Yeah, I can't. One say. of my favorite songs, but we'll touch on that. But you see, what I'm saying like you, you've got this. It's it's the juxtaposition of you know this high life, but then he's still one foot into the street life, mm-hmm. um, and he's not afraid to get mixed up. You know, we'll grab the gats, and Puffy won't know what even happened. That's yeah, what it says yeah. right. I, I love that line. Right, you see what I'm saying so, yeah. and he's referencing because I can I can imagine that being a very real conversation. Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. he had some real people around him, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. He may not have been the gangster, mm-hmm. but the people around him were completely certified, right? So I felt like the pace of the album was very reflective of his life. Mm-hmm. So when he went to LA, he was getting all those calls like he does on the album, where they're just breathing, saying, you know, we're going to kill you, we're going to kill you. That was happening in his real life, and he kind of almost transferred it onto the album itself mm-hmm. so you can't really en- it's like it's like it's, it felt, felt like it's him in real life wanting to enjoy himself but actually can't 
because he's being held back by this shadow casted over over him with this East Coast, West Coast thing. I want to thank you for that comparison because I never, I never considered that, you know. I only realised that you're now. a smart guy. Thank you. You're I know you're being guy. sarcastic, but it's okay. No, I'm being real. You're a smart guy. You you're a smart guy. Li- like, listen to the record. It's like maybe maximum two songs you can go. We go, yeah, I'm loving this. And then you buy, and then you've got them yeah. mafioso stuff. Yeah. And you just write True. back to the dirt. True. I think in terms of sound, um, I'd like to add the fact that it's a lot more polished. Yeah, definitely. Um, as definitely. opposed to the first album. So they still use samples. The sample yes. list is long. Yes. So that let me know there's a big budget. Yes. There was a massive, massive budget. But the sound is a lot cleaner. It's a lot smoother. Um, and it's just a lot more shiny. And I think it's, it's, it was an attempt to really hit the mainstream charts, which they did successfully. Of course. Uh, I remember reading um, an interview with Easy Moby. Yeah. One of the most underrated producers ever. Um, he basically said, you know, when he came in to produce for Life After Death. So this is a guy who did Warning. Yeah. Give me the loot. Friend of mine, the what? The architect, really, of he, Ready to Die. He's the architect of Bad Boy Records. In yeah. terms of sound, their early sound, flavouring your ear, let's not get oh started. Oh, God. R.I.P. Craig Mack. Rest in peace, Craig Mack. I never knew, I still don't know what Biggie's issue with Craig Mack was, but we need to explore that. He never spoke well of him at all. I think it was the, it might have been the beef with Puff. Okay. Like, well, writing for your man, you know. All right, cool. And like, you know, it was... Sidebar, yeah. Craig was supposed to come first, but actually Biggie came through and crushed the door, you know. But Craig did come first. Their albums, random fact. Go on. Uh, Craig Mack's first album and Biggie's Ready to Die came out a week apart. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, Craig Mack came out. I don't know rap. After. I don't know rap. So, it, yeah, it was a but rap. That, it's, more it was like, a rap. it's more like, I think Craig felt he was ready. Um, and I think him and Puff had the issues around that. And, okay. You know. Well, Easy Mo B said he came into the studio, you know, he submitted a few tracks. I think a few, they weren't accepted. And then he realized that they were going for a more mainstream polished sound. And he went from producing songs like Ready to Die to I Love the Dough. Oh, I Love the Dough is a, it's a standout we song. We'll talk about that song in a minute. So that just shows you that Biggie had the kind of gravitas yeah. where people would adapt and evolve their sound to fit his vision. Think about all the producers on there. You yeah. listen to Buckwild, I Got a Story to Tell. Very different from his DITC yes. stuff. Way different. Easy Moby produced uh, going, out to, going Back to Cali, mm-hmm. right? That's a West Coast record. We use a Zap. Zap is like, they're very California. So, yeah. He used RZA as well. Yes. But even RZA's sound, he kind of freaked it a bit, you know, a bit different. Had a different kind of bounce on it. But if we're going to talk about the sound of the album... A few people we have to salute. Yes. Are the hitmen. Stevie J and them. Stevie J. <laughs> don't laugh. Stevie J and them. <laughs> I'm, Steve, in Steve, I'm in Ron that. I'm in Ron Ron Lawrence, right? Ron Lawrence. Carlos Six July Brody. Yo! That's the illest name. I always wanted to know what does Six, Six July actually mean. Your birthday, maybe? I don't know. Because I, tr- I tried to find his birthday. I don't think that's if, it. If anyone knows why and how the 6th of July is in his name, Please let us know. Let us know. Who else have we got in the Hitman? You have uh, Derek Angeletti, D-Dot. D-Dot, the mad rapper. The voice of the mad rapper. Yeah, he killed that. You got, um, what's the guy's name? Um, Prestige. I Prestige. think his name is uh, Darian Vanderpool. That's Vanderpool. a serious name. He produced songs on Word Life. Right. For OC. For OC. Yeah, uh, Richard Young Lord Frierson. You got these guys. <laughs> Do you yo, remember? Yo, bro, that sounds like a Duke from Sunset, you know? <laughs> you remember man like Yogi? <laughs> Yogi! And we're talking about the Hitman. We can't forget, I forgot, Nashi Myrick. 
Nasheen. So he produced Who Shot Ya? Yeah. Supposedly that was the first beat he ever made. No. He said that in an interview. No. I don't believe him either. We don't believe you, but we love you. We love you're free to come up to the show if you're ever around. So let's talk about themes of the album. Now, you mentioned Ready to Die had some really important themes that get overlooked, Mm -hmm. mental health. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the themes of Life After Death. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the overarching themes on Life After Death are the feuds and rivalries with other rappers. Yes. None of which were ever mentioned by name. Well, I said this to you before we we went on air. Like some of these songs are the framework for my good friend Jay Z <laughs> over Sean Carter. But in addition, in, in addition to the feuds, let's let's hold the feuds for a bit. Yeah, I think the overarching themes on the album, you know, you definitely have the street element. Yes, the crime, the mm-hmm. violence, the sex, the drugs, storytelling. Storytelling he's, is a key theme. Oh. He he's Jack and Ori in this shit. Yes, I often say. When I, I remember when I first heard Niggas Bleed, I said, this isn't a story. He told us a movie. Yeah, it was a movie. Because I could literally see everything. Somebody's got to die with the sound effects. But, but what he really mastered on the album for me in terms of his storytelling were the plot twists. Yeah, it is. Now, yeah. I don't want to go into it all because, believe it or not, there are some people out, here, out there who have not heard the album. That's okay. Um, so I don't want to spoil it. But the storytelling aspect is key because not only did he tell stories on individual songs on the album, he linked the album... With the first album. So yes. he was telling a story from album to album. They say you you have your whole life to make your first album. But it felt like he had his whole life to make his first, second, third and fourth album. Because he had it all planned out. That whole Born Again thing. Yeah. The trilogy. He, he was going to call his third album Born Again. So the storytelling is, is very, very key. Um, there's also some other issues he touches on. Um, the accumulation of wealth. As well, yes, the more money, more problems. That's, that's no longer just a song; it's actually a, it's part a, of our culture. It's a term we use. Yes, um, I think of "Sky's the Limit," which is essentially a, a smoothed-out version of "Juicy," in terms of its yeah. inspirational message. Yeah, yeah. Um, he basically says on there, um, "I want to get my daughter a college plan so she don't need no man." So, whilst now everybody's talking about feminism and empowering women, he was touching on it back in '97. Mm. So, just in in just four years. He went from wanting to just put a carrot, a five carat ring, uh, earring in her ear to thinking about her college, college. plan. So we were witnessing the evolution of, of Biggie His Small maturity. in real time. Yeah, Because we forget how young he was. He was only 24. We which forget. is scary. It's ridiculous. At 24, what were you doing? I don't even remember, dude. I was At 24, I was Ted Mosby. You really like that guy, don't you? Yeah, he's hard. No, I don't like him. <laughs> I just, I see... Me and him, like at twenty four, I was not nearly that talented, creative. I don't think many people were, but to have that foresight, because Biggie's vision of that for the album, for his career, and just what he, the movie he was making, going into the south, mm-hmm. you know, re- linking up with Too Short. He's got, I mean, Jay Z does, pal again, mm-hmm. does a joint with Too Short. I love but, that song, by the way. But yeah, like think about what he was doing. He's branching out. Mm-hmm. He, Biggie had he had big plans. And goes into what he wants to do for his, his yeah. kids. No, definitely. But we can't talk about life after death mm-hmm. without talking about these feuds. Biggie was going at a few people. There's yes. a list of them. Yes. Hit I me. think the obvious example yep. is kicking the door. Waving the 4-4. One of the greatest premiere beats yeah. of all time. Yeah. I think. And I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away oh, from I, I, Mass Appeal. I, I, 
or Boom? I don't know, man, because if you think about... I'll let you have it, but Primo's catalogue is so fire that you might even have to go to, like... Yeah, I'm talking, like, Group Home, The Legacy, some of the first uh, Living Proof album, all that MCs act like they don't know. Listen, the the catalogue is deep, but I do want to say that Kicking the Door was what made me a uh, Primo junkie. Did it? Because when I heard that and I checked the credits and it said DJ Premier, I went back and collected and bought everything. Yeah. So that's the song. That, now that, really... that was a great song. So who's he going at? Let's, let's talk about So there's about a list, that. okay? So your reign on the top was short like leprechauns. <laughs> Disrespectful out the gate. Yeah. I thought you were talking about Nas. I would assume so, but Nas gets it throughout the record, if I'm yeah. honest. He was like, he got it like MC Ren got it on No Vaseline. <laughs> yeah, Ren got it hard. But you know why Ice Cube went at Ren that hard? He said because he knew Ren was the only one who could get at him. Right, so, so sometimes tr- you, you hit, going for the head. Sometimes you you kill shot. Yeah, you got to um go hardest at the biggest threat. Interesting. So that's just my theory. That, that's that prison thing, isn't it? When you go in, you go in for the the big guy, so everyone knows not to test you. Absolutely. Right. So on the album, Raekwon gets it. Yeah, Raekwon gets it. The chef. He gets a couple times. He gets it a few times. But Nas, the people he talks about in kicking the door, get it again later. I'll talk about that. Yeah. So Raekwon. On one of the most controversial skits of all time. Basically said, niggas bit off a Nas's album cover. That was Ghostface. Alright? We all knew who he was talking about. I personally don't think it was a direct bite. Possibly inspired by. Mm-hmm. Both albums came out in the same year. So that's something to consider. Yeah. But basically, on Ice Water, Raekwon said a line. Mm. That's life. To top it all off, beef with white. Pulling bleach out, trying to throw it in my eyesight. Oh, throw bleach in your eye. So that's, that's who Biggie's referring to. Why yeah. try I throw bleach, bleach in, in your, your eye? eye? And so Raycon said that on ice water? On ice water, back in 95. But this is what's crazy. He said that in 95. Biggie responded in March 97. <laughs> so he didn't forget, and we were always waiting for the response. That couldn't happen in 2018. He would have had to reply the next day on Twitter. Yeah, think about the whole Meek Mill, Drake thing. and You got 24 hours. You got 24 hours. Damn. Yep. J. Rue, the damager, gets it too. A lot of people don't realise, you no, know, J. Rue's had his fair share of squabbles. Yeah, he has. But listen, he, one... Him and the Fugees went he, at it for a bit. He had... Biggie had to go at J. Rue yep. for one day. On kicking the door... Yeah. Biggie responds in kind, in one of my favourite lines, and he says... <laughs> <laughs> I got a laugh. This is what he says. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's coming back to me. Hit me. It's coming back to me. He goes, um, he says something along the line. Son, I'm surprised you run with them. I think they got coming them because they're nothing but dicks. Don't j Trying to blow up like nitro when dynamite sticks. But he sent to, to Primo. But this is the crazy thing. Primo produced the record. No, that's for j That's for j dude. Son, I'm surprised you're friends with this dude. You produced his first two albums. He's talking to Primo. No. And Primo was recording the song when he said that. And in an interview, he said, he stopped the tape. And he's like, he, he acknowledged that I caught what you did. But Primo knew that, okay, well, you know, we got at you. I'm not going to say we, but J-Rue got at Biggie on one day. You know, all's fair in love and war. So he's talking about Primo. Wow. But he said, son, I'm surprised you run with him. It was a tone of... Cocky disappointment. I'm be I'm disappointed that I didn't catch that. Are you Are you serious, bro? I'm disappointed I didn't catch that earlier. Are you only learning that today? Yes, because I love I love that line. It's a great line. It's a great line, but I didn't realize he sent to Primo. 
about J-Rue. He's talking to Primo, man. But we, 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 got, we can't skip. Go on. Who got it the worst on kicking the door? Of course. Nas. Yes. <laughs> yes. Ayo, ayo, ayo. I'm on my fourth album, yo. It's my fourth <laughs> album. You reckon he was talking about Nas with the Mad Rapper skit? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No? Mr. Fantastic today, bro. That's a reach. Okay. That's a reach. All right. I thought he was just talking about rappers in general. I don't think it was Nas because Nas was sound of his voice. You know, my 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 issue is more John Blaze than that. I got John Blaze shit. And Nas was on a song called John Blaze a year later. I thought it was Nas. I I I always thought it was Nas. It definitely the last the uh, the last couple of bars was on Nas. But what did he actually say about Nas? Let's break it down. He said, Go on. Ain't no other kings in this rap thing, they siblings. siblings. Nothing but my children. One <laughs> shot, they're disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> he basically said, You took home ready to die and you studied Study my it. blueprint. Now you're successful out the blue. It was written, went double platinum. <laughs> it's worth mentioning that it's a fact that Nas was disappointed with the commercial reception. Behind Illmatic, uh, he didn't really have a fly set of clothes to wear to the '95 Source Awards, the same award show that Biggie cleaned up. Mm. So he made a conscious decision to go in a more commercial direction, and he hired Steve Stout afterwards. It was a good move business-wise, but I think that's what that's what's Biggie. That's what Biggie's referring to. Yeah, um, you took Nas, home ready uh, to die. Nas mentions it on Godson, doesn't he? Who do you think kicking uh, the door was, was for? for? Bit egotistical because it was for a few of you. No, but, but I think he recognized it. No, but I think some of the slick lines were for you know Primos you mentioned, Ghost Ray, but I feel like that record was very much for Nas. But let's let's let's. You're still recouping, stupid, <laughs> stupid. But let's clarify, though. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Biggie picking on Nas. No. Biggie was on the cover of The Source. Yes. Um, and the headline was The King of New York. Nas did a freestyle where he says, I'll take the, uh, I'll take the crown off the so-called king and lock it down. He was referring yeah. to Biggie. On the li- on, on, and on the message where he says there's only one life, one love, so there can only be one king. He's, he's basically, I'm the king. We can definitely do a whole podcast on that era of songs because the message is a great song it's one of his best probably one of the best first songs to any album the fact that he 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 samples sting shape of my heart i mean have you heard shape of my heart yeah i know that's like a heartbreak song like yeah. that's a like smooth radio in the night and then you've got him going at jay and big and yeah great yeah the message was loud and clear pun but intended. on 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 what's beef uh he goes at again the same Slick lines towards Nas and Raycon. The whole, the same energy of, you know, you took my style. He says, um, he says I call him like I see him, G. Y'all sound like me. Y'all was grimy the early 90s, far behind me. I love this guy. I love this guy. He was a framework for the, the, the sub-disses that we have now. We don't mention their name. True. Biggie was the architect of that, was great at that, and made it into popular songs. Yeah, true. But let's talk about the person who we were all hoping he would respond to a bit more directly. Yeah. Tupac. Shakur. So-called beef with you know who. That was very direct without saying a name. Yeah. But also very dismissive. Yes. So-called beef. This isn't serious. What's the problem here? Well, I, th- I, think, I think some of it could have been down to people around him. Puffy going, hey, don't necessarily mention by name. You give power to it. You know. I hate them for that decision, though. Why? Because Biggie had the skill. He would have tore Tupac's head off. If we're talking a battle, lyrics, dude, 
We're talking lyrics, dude. I, I don't care about all the threats and the entourages. I don't care about all that stuff. Bar for bar, Biggie would have blown him away. But I don't want the Tupac fans to come after me because I like breathing. Yeah, I think... I don't know, I was thinking about this today. Tupac gets a lot of hate from the young guys and people tend to gut him a lot mm-hmm. when they're talking about older rappers. It's now a marketing scheme. I don't pay any attention. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's... Throughout life after death, there are a lot of mentions or references to what could be Tupac. Dungaree references. I make um, your mouth peace, obese like Della Reese. When I release, you lose teeth like little C's. Nigga, please. Blood floods your dungarees. And that's just the half of my warpath. I only caught that the other day. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a fact. But Tupac was wearing a lot of dungarees. No, he was, he was, he was. Even, um, Check the All Eyes on Me inlay card. Even Long Kiss Goodnight. He's, there's a couple of lines where he's talking about Shug. Could easily be talking about Tupac. Slugs missed you. I ain't mad at you. That's definitely about your man Tupac. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. That's it. The- and like, like the, the, there's a thing, I um, can't remember what song, but like, before the beef, when Tupac used to come to New York, C's used to jump on the train and give Pac, Park, um, guns for protection. And in, there's a line in which Biggie says, your guns are borrowed. All your guns is borrowed. I don't feel sorrow. Actually, your man passed the gap to, to me. me. Now, Chip, I didn't know that. Pa, pa, pa. Yeah. I don't know why I'm doing gun signs there. It's not really good. Yeah, yeah now why are you aiming them at me? I... Yeah. Why sorry. are you aiming gun fingers at it's me? It's on what's beef. Yeah. It's on what's, what's beef. beef? Yeah. Beef Great music. song. Yeah. Great song. That's also another example of Biggie telling us this isn't real beef. I know what real beef is. This this is, Maniacs. This is music. Maniacs talking about me on record. He said like long kiss goodnight. It's the longest long kiss goodnight. Even verse two. He's talking about a spirit above me. Oh, so is that the verse? No, the last verse is about you rest where the worms and the weak be. Yeah. That's deep. Oh no, man. Considering he was dead at the time when we heard that it just adds a lot more weight to and it all saying. depends on when the songs were recorded let's hold that thought because this album was originally meant to come out in october 96 halloween right. right which makes me think were they producing songs that sounded like this in 96 because i'm i'm willing to bet that if the album had come out in 96 it might have sounded slightly different because hip-hop was still in its very it was still in its second golden era coming to the end of it yeah but in 96, you had albums like uh, Rafa the Math, you had uh, Aliens. So it was still gritty and grimy. But it, set, was making a, it was it making, making this transition. Yeah. So are we saying that Biggie was that much ahead of his time? Because a song like More Money, More Problems being recorded in 96, that must have, that's visionary, dude. It's visionary, but I think that's puff. Yeah. Puff, it's I, puff, bro. A friend of mine said at one point the only difference with Biggie and Tupac is that Tupac didn't have Puffy. Yeah. The marketing genius. It's a good point. Puff is different. Puff, he... Like, we talk about Easy Mo B, architect of Ready to Die. Puff was just a visionary in that respect. He, It's like it's like when Dre and Snoop got together, it just fits. Yeah. I think when Puff finally had that artist, he could just take to the next level. Favourite songs? I've got a few. I'm going to go with Kick in the Door. Yeah, that, that's, that's a given. Miss You. Yep, yep, yep. My Downfall. My downfall, that's not all. With DMC? Mm, not on my list, but... I'm talking about lyrics. I'm going to listen to your list. You go ahead. And then I've got um, 
Long Kiss Goodnight. Okay. Because I felt that could have belonged on Ready to Die. His voice, the way it sounded, I think it could have easily belonged on Ready okay. to Die. Okay, that's interesting. Those ones, I would say. Those are your favourite songs? Yeah, yeah. My favourite songs? I can't Some... say N-Words Bleeds, that's why I'm not putting that in. My favourite song, Somebody's Gotta Die. I think it just set the tone perfectly. Uh, produced by, I think, Carlos Brody did that one and a, a few of the hitmen. Uh, Kick in the Door. I love that song. I love, I love, 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 I love the dough. I love that song. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I forgot to say I love the dough. Yeah, sorry. I love the dough. One thing I want to mention about I love the dough, I think Biggie legitimized Jay-Z and Rockefeller on that song. No, you didn't. I feel, I'm going to tell you why. No, he didn't. I didn't. This is groupie talking. But can I explain right, why? Jay-Z is not the Jay-Z. Jay-Z then is not the Jay-Z we know now. Of course not. So... He was a featured artist, but when Biggie says, um, Rucker, Fella, Bad Boy, Collabo, two MCs with Mad Doe, then he says the line, um, speak my name, I make him dash like Dame. That's a cosign. Yeah, 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 it is, it is, it is. I'm messing let's with not, you. It let's is, not forget is. that a few months afterwards, they got their big deal at Def Jam. Yeah, yeah. Life will change. To me, that, that just further Well, you know, he's in, he's in the Dead Presidents video. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. there was a relationship there. I so yeah. I love the Doe. Is one of my favorites. I love Niggas Bleed. I love that song. Joel Santana referenced that song on Dipset Anthem. Um, Notorious Thugs, Miss You, love it. Going back to Cali, Ten Crack Commandments. I, I can't to that believe song. I, I, there's two songs I forgot. Was I love the dough and Ten Crack yeah, Commandments. Ten Crack Commandments is amazing. Like, I don't like Notorious Thugs anymore. Why? Don't like it. It's too long. I like it. Not because of this day and age. I just don't like it anymore. Okay. Like, I like Biggie's verse, and then I stop. Yeah, because Biggie... Armed and dangerous. Yeah. After that, I can't... That, that verse can't, is iconic. I can't, I, can't, I iconic. can't be bothered to listen to Crazy, Lazy. I can't be bothered. Like, mm. I just like, ah, skip. Yeah, I, li- I like them, though. I, I, it's not my, bad songs, just... I think early 2000s, I listed, listed that heavy with Miss You, and then... Ah, I can't stand it. My appreciation for that song has grown a lot more, because... I've only started to really recognise just how influential Bone Thugs are. Right. And they don't get a lot of credit. I think it's a, they probably... They, they, they ha- there's an argument for them being in top 10 rap groups of all time. There's an argument. There's definitely an argument. But if we're going to talk about songs on the album we don't like... Yes, hit me. I hate Hypnotise. You don't like Hypnotise? I despise it. I understand why it's there, yeah. but I skip it every single time. Interesting. Even though I think Nelly borrowed a line. If they're right, Biggie yeah. there, air night. Yeah, everyone, everyone borrowed a line for him. It was a big yeah, record. True, true. But you realize, I hate that song though. You, you realize that in the car. I don't care. I don't drive. I'm a, in, I'm a, I'm a, I, I'm an oyster. But he didn't either. He didn't have to drive. I know. So what's your point? Just saying. Just making that point. I, I, the song is trash though. I, I listen. I listen to the Rap Raider podcast and they mentioned. Oh, okay, that gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I also D- hate. D Rock mentioned that. I know. hate player hater. Player hater. That's a skit. I think. That's that's a skit. It belongs on like you know that Dave Chappelle like used to have those um, pimp conference things. It belongs like as a theme song for that. I don't like that. Another one with Kim. I'm not crazy about no, that, but I, don't I like can it. tolerate it. I don't like it. I Trash. Can it. I can don't tolerate like it. it. I like it. But yeah, but the, you know what it is? What's crazy is even though we don't like these songs, mm-hmm. they're not bad songs. No, they're not bad. Songs. I, think, I think I just like I, I just th- don't like them. I feel like another one was more puff. And set up his sound, 
even the stuff he did with Nicole Scherzinger and like all them kind of poppy records he did way after No Way Out. Felt like another one was the precursor to all of that. Was No Way Out recorded alongside Life After Death? Because I always wanted to wonder, were the songs that Biggie on recorded for No Way Out or were they leftovers from Life After Death? It's possible. I mean, Young G sound like it could have been on Life After Young Death. Young G's. <sighs> what a song. The commission could have been real. Oh, let's touch on the commission. The commission. Uncle Paulie. Uncle Paulie. <laughs> Lance Unriviera. <laughs> P. Diddy. Cesar Leo. De Janeiro. Iceberg Charlie Slim. Baltimore. Iceberg Slim. Jay-Z. The yeah. Most Shady. Frankie Baby. Uh. Do you know what beef is? Do you know what beef is? <laughs> you know the next time you have a problem with someone. Do you know what? Just, do you just play. Know what beef is? Don't even, don't even say that. Just play a snippet. Have a snippet ready on your phone, and do just play someone's face, like someone's face, like Diddy. Diddy talking to them. Do you know what beef is? Diddy's trash talk game is brilliant. Oh, even, he's the best. He's the best. At the end, like towards the end of the album, you know what we're talking about. We ain't talking about everyone. We're talking about you. We're talking about you. Yo, when we tell you we won't stop, he, he his trash talk game is great. Even Vic, um, victory. Oh. Do you know what beef is? <laughs> I can imagine him just leaning into the mic like I am now. Do you know what beef is? I, lo- I love Puff. Featured artists. Let's talk about some of the featured artists on the yes. album. LOX. Yes. That was the first time I had ever heard them. I had, yes, yeah, same, same. Even though they did make their debut on uh, Main Source's second album I a few years before. I no idea. I think they were called The Dog Pack, but no one really no. cared or no. heard them at that time. But to me, this was, this was their coming out party. I think they did an excellent job. Yeah. Excellent job. Uh, Last Day, produced by Havoc. Um, it, it sounded like a Mob Deep record to me. Yeah, it would, but it's Havoc, of course. Yeah. But it's not as good as Jay. On I Love the Doe. Yeah. No, that's like that's my favourite song from the album. Love. I he love, said he was playing Monopoly with real cash. Love Jay-Z on that record. I love the Jay-Z, Biggie tracks. Yeah. Always. I often think what a collaborate a collaborative album with just those two. Yeah, Would except the, like except that. the one on Magna Carta. I didn't like that crap. You know the when he used Biggie's verse. That's a uh, blueprint too. No, but he also did it on Magna Carta. He used some of his lyrics on Magna Carta. I didn't know. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, everyone's. Used I it, see. I, I said. My, yeah. No. no that's no. that's um blueprint two. Yeah, that's blueprint, blueprint two. two. But there's one on Magna Carta where he uses Biggie's verse. Oh, I must have missed it. Magna Carta trash. I must have. Now missed that it. <laughs> <laughs> I must have missed it. But um, yeah. So the locks made it. They made it. Unofficial day. De- I don't want to say debut. Well, they, 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 to the masses, yeah. this was their kind of first break out with, with a massive artist. And obviously, I'm sure Biggie had his eye on, on things further. Yeah. With the commission. He wanted to do that kind of, you know, like Jay-Z references, they Motown till I die with him and Biggie and we're going to take over this. And so he wanted to sign certain rappers, whether it be Cam, whether it be Jada. But also Mace. And Mace. Mace. He mentions Mace. Yeah, Gives Mace. Co-sign to him as well. Mace, Mace got a nice, nice setup. Yes. On yeah, that yeah, album. yeah. Definitely. It was a great setup. Definitely, definitely. Um, who else is featured on the album? Too Short? Two Shorts on the album, DMC. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth mentioning that Biggie brought the old and new together. Yes. He had Angela Wimbush, who sang on I Love You More, which was sampled on I Love the Dope. I think that was a puff move, but it was a great move because he brought her back in to sing her vocals again and sing I Love the Doe. Puff loves his R&B, man. Yeah, and he had the ad-libs throughout the track as well. So he got his money's worth with that one. And DMC, or Run DMC fame, that's a given. And we can also mention Puff, even though he's on intros. Yeah, he, he, not, doesn't, he doesn't get the 112. Yeah, 112. They don't, get, they don't necessarily get the mention on the, on the credits. Dude, 112 were on that album twice vocally, 
but they're sprinkled throughout. So when he says room 112, where the players dwell, that was from the Only You remix. Tell him Blanco sent you. I need to mention this. Room 112 again. Yeah, tell him Blanco well, sent you. I got a story to tell my 112 CD blast. He, he, yeah, was, he was lit He was a fan. He, yeah, he must was. have been a yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had to be. He had to be. Yeah, because to. I'm not talking just label mates, because th- those were those were some serious, serious. alley He always kept mentioning Send for Room 112. Yeah. 112. They named their album, their third yeah. album. Was it their third album? Second album was called Room 112. Okay. It's a great album. But I need to mention now, mention Run 12, Tell Em Blanco Sentia, which obviously my good friend again mentions on 444. Everyone keeps thinking that, you know, it's this Jay-Z thing. Mm-hmm. It's really from Life After Death. I know. Yeah. R. Kelly's featured on the album? R- I don't like R. Kelly. <laughs> Let's not talk about I don't like that record. I like that record. No. But <laughs> R. Kelly, no. Okay. I'm just saying he's featured on the album. That's, I'm cool. Just, That's cool. I'm just stating a fact. Who else is featured on the album? Bone Thugs and Harmony. Bone Thugs. Faith. You, you mentioned yeah, to me that... I'm, I'm, the- I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on this. She's singing in the background on, on your nobody till somebody kills you. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I, I'm pretty sure that's her, man. I, I think it's her. Okay. Carl Thomas sings on The World Is Filled. I hated that song at first. Did you? Yeah, I hate it. The World so, Is I, Filled. But then... That song is the basis of I'm a hustler, baby. baby. So Biggie made it. Oh, uh, are we talking about our good friend I again? Have to, yeah, I have to. Yes, I have to. I'm gonna count the to. amount of times. So, t- <laughs> Yo, Biggie, Biggie so- made it a hotline. Jay Z made it a hot song. No, I can admit that. If someone can count up and tally the amount of times that Jay Z gets mentioned on this podcast, please send uh, postcards to the Breaking we'll Podcast. We'll do. We'll do. Well, yeah, the features. I think the features were very carefully selected. Yes. And everybody was in their right place. So um, this uh, talk about legacy direction of the out, like what would have been next yeah. for big. Um, so legacy, obviously, for me, this is this album obviously solidified his status as King of New York. You made uh, a point to me about the fact that he was the rapper who didn't necessarily claim he was King of the New York. It was put on him mm-hmm. and he just took it. And became this, you know, from he went from Biggie Smalls to Frank White, aka the King of New York. He's the only person I can recall that never had to claim that title. It was given to him, and he took it. The people gave it to him, even to this day. Um, I think it was Cormega. Cormega said on the intro of an album that you know Biggie never gave up the crown, so he's still the king. He never gave up the crown. Lord Jamar said. Mm That Biggie was the king of New York. He is. He, and not, not just in terms of his, his ability, it's just his stature and his presence suggested royalty to me. He's the king. When I, th- when I think about where he would have gone after this album, I think about the artists that emerged during this time. So I'm thinking about Cash Money, those type of yes, artists. Yes, Master P. And- I'm thinking about the producers he never got to work with. I would have loved... To hear Biggie and Dr. Dre yeah. together, I think that would have stopped humanity. You know, for yeah, three minutes. You know, you know how crazy how like we do the what ifs. Yeah. Right. And think, yo, if that if those beefs didn't happen, East Coast, West Coast crap. We were robbed of we, a lot of music. We would have had Snoop. We'd have we would have Snoop in his prime, and Biggie. Yeah, I I would have loved to hear um, Biggie and DJ Quick. Oh, imagine what that would have sounded like. Oh, quick is amazing. We didn't. We what, would have. We would have Daz and Biggie. What would a, a Just Blaze? I mean, we've heard what Just Blaze sound like with Biggie, but imagine 
the turn yeah, of the you know, you know the turn of millennium. It would have been, been just Blaze and Kanye West, Illmind, DJ Dahi, Stack Selector, Soundwave. Oh. Imagine if Biggie was was rocking with the TDE guys, dude. I, that's making me sad a little bit. What, what if, if, man? What if? Let's wrap this podcast. Up. Yes, yes. Life after death. Where does it rank for you? Of all time or Biggie? Just, just how how do you feel about it? I think That's the question it's, to ask. for me, it's it's a poignant moment in time. It's a turning point because it had the sprinkles of those big records, those hypnotized records, those mo money mo problem records that then turned into what we now what what was coined the commercialization of rap. Right. So we went from hip hop to this is rap and this is how we're going to make money from it. And that then spawned uh, a kind of new crop of people with ringtone raps and mm. just the whole commercialization of it. Mm. I think that's almost uh, what we as a, you know, rap purist would go, oh, that's a negative. However, what we're left with is a body of work which is undeniably extraordinary. Right. Because we have a guy who is on the cusp. He's a star, but he's on the cusp of being a megastar. He's on the cusp of actually outdoing everyone, right? No one was going to touch him. He was going to be at the pinnacle. Whether Pac was here or not, he was going to be at the pinnacle, right? It would have been him and, like, we have, you know, Kendrick and Drake now or whatever, or Jay-Z and Nas or whatever. But Biggie, for people who love hip-hop, who love lyricism... Who love making great records, he would have set the standard. We lost that. So when he died, it felt like a piece of rap died with him. In the same way it happened with Tupac, but it was different with with Big. Mm. It felt different. Mm. It felt like something. I don't know what it. I don't. I can't put my finger on it. It could just be my preference, but it felt like a piece of rap just was ripped out. It's never been the same since. Mm. For me, I listened to this album again last week and it was it was really painful for me because I got taken back to where I was in March 97. My favourite rapper of all time is now gone. It's no longer just beef records. It's no longer just back and forths. He's actually gone. And to this day, I still sit here and I say to myself, I still can't believe he's gone. Because his shadow looms so large over hip-hop to this day. Mm -hmm. He was so far ahead of his time that he feels very much present 21 years after he died. Life after death, to me, is more than just music. It's a cultural institution and an artistic monument for hip-hop. It's one of those albums you can play for people or you should play if anybody were to discredit the validity of hip-hop as a musical genre. Life After Death is an album that I would play to challenge that notion. It's a body of work that's been cited, referenced, dissected, analysed, copied for over 20 years and I don't feel anyone has come close, especially in a double disc format. No, I don't think anyone is going to. 
Wu Tang Forever was a great double album. Yeah. Great album. But I just feel that Biggie provided us with an ever evolving, expansive universe. In terms of the timing of the album, I, I'm even having chills talking about it now. For an artist to call his album Life After Death, to be pictured beside a hearse mm. with his artist name on the license plate was extremely telling. I feel like he was speaking to us from the grave in a prophetic sense. You look at the album cover, he's, he's glancing slightly to his left and looking at us. No sunglasses this time. Yeah. Lazy eye was full view. He didn't look angry. Peace. He didn't look paranoid. He looked at peace. Mm -hmm. But I will say this. And I've been wanting to say this for 20 years. And I don't want to get all spiritual on people. So if we have any listeners who aren't necessarily religious people, then, you know, just bear with me. I would say forgive me, but I don't really care. Just bear with me. <laughs> I the don't really care. <laughs> the book of Proverbs 18, yes. 21, it yes. says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Mm -hmm. I really do believe, as much as I love Biggie Smalls, that he spoke himself into the grave. And this is controversial. To come up with an album called Life After Death and Before That, Ready To Die, to kill yourself on your first album, to have your second album start out with a flat line and you're actually dead. It carries on. I would encourage any artist, any singer, any rapper, hold yourself accountable for the words you say. Art does imitate life, but you, you, you have to be very responsible and very mindful of what you put out into the atmosphere. We often talk about energy. There's this big movement right now about speaking things to, into existence. We live in a voice-activated kingdom. In the Bible, let there be light, and there was light. Mm -hmm. You walk into your fancy house, lights, please. The light turns on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in a voice-activated kingdom. I don't think Biggie understood that. And if he did understand that, then he was probably at peace with it. But he spoke himself into the grave, I think. Um, and it makes me sad as a fan because he never lived to see the impact that this album had. Yes. And not to get all spiritual, you know, people say, oh, you know, he can see it from where he's at. I hear you. But I just wish he would have been here. Of course. To, 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 see, uh, to see the reaction when kicking the door comes on or, you know, yeah. just to see how many people have been inspired by Sky's the Limit, how many people even started rapping I think as anyone, a result of that album. I think anyone that... I think anyone that's asked anyone would want them here, mm. right? Whether it's Big, whether it's Aaliyah, whether it's Left Eye, whether it's anyone, Tupac, whoever. I think for me, the, the saddest thing is that they never got to really fulfil their potential. Yeah. But... What we're left with is... Uh, Some amazing music. Timeless. Yeah. It's timeless. Um, I really enjoyed listening to the album again because it gave me the same feeling right. it did 20 years ago. Right. We've got to wrap up. Subscribe. Rate the podcast on iTunes. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, like us on all our socials. Like us in real life as well. That would be nice. No, not like, No, that would be nice. Let me tell you something. The amount of people that don't like me in real life. <laughs> the list is long. Yeah, the Matt, list. Yeah, we should put the list together. We, we should, should compare notes. Yes, we should. But like us on all our socials. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Break the Atoms. SoundCloud at Break the Atoms as well. Um, do not talk to Chris on social. He is not a nice person. Baby, baby.